Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's a Friday morning. I'm hanging out in the office with two really cool people. One of them is Amanda. Yeah, hey. I'm so glad I got that introduction that I'm a really cool person. Well, it's Friday. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> He's in a good mood. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda. And uh, yeah, we have another guest here. Her name is Angela Pereira, who is a registered kinesiologist, holistic nutritionist, personal trainer and the founder of another continuing education company called First Line Education. Right on. Which is exciting to have another con ed provider in here so yeah. we can talk all things geeky education. I love it. Excellent. Thanks <laughs> so, so much to you too. For thank inviting you for being me. here. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> right so why don't we start at the beginning? Why don't you introduce yourself, tell everyone what you do, who you are. Sure. Well, um, I've been a kinesiologist for over 25 years and started as a holistic nutritionist probably about three years ago now, so combined the two. Um, I also became a yoga teacher a few years ago as well. And then personal training was something I picked up along the way, another certification. So just being my geeky self and exploring a bunch of different educational avenues as my career unfolded. And I weaved and bobbed and tried to figure out who my ideal clients were. Where'd you uh, Where'd you do your kin? Waterloo. Waterloo. How many moons ago was that? Oh, that was, <laughs> yeah, it was over 25 years ago, probably 26, 27 years ago now. Oh, yeah. Was Closing it a, in on 30. Yeah. Was it a kinesiology program? back then or was it a physical education it program? It was. Waterloo was the first kin program in Canada, so it was never a phys ed program that actually became mm. um, a kinesiology program. Let me ask you this then, because I had a client yesterday whose sister is a registered massage therapist and she also did her kinesiology at Waterloo. And this client was telling me that Waterloo is the best kin program in Ontario. Is One that true? Yeah, one of them. I think there's a lot of great kin yeah. programs in in Ontario and in Canada. I think that one of the things that really makes a kin program a great program is that they know who their students are. So they're mm. attracting a certain kind of student with a very particular focus on who that student is going to become as a practitioner. How familiar are you with Waterloo's current program? Very familiar. Cool. I, uh, so yeah. tell us about what kind of student that Waterloo caters to. So they would be uh, students who would be very interested in research and very looking very much at uh, graduate opportunities and, and uh, post-grad programs. And they don't yet have a, a postgraduate program, though I believe one is in the works. So they're trying to look more at the professional practical training. Right, right. Like U of T does now. I think U of T, T has like a, a master's in professional kinesiology. I'm pretty certain U of T didn't even have a bachelor's in kin when I was applying to university. U of T was one of the schools that held on to the school, the, the physical education title. Yeah, because I, yeah. I was trying to apply to, um, my parents really badly wanted me to stay in Toronto. So I applied to York Kin right. and I said, okay, I'll apply to York and U of T and then I'll apply to the school I actually want to go to and oh. <laughs> we'll see what happens. And so when I was trying to apply to U of T, that was my argument to my mother. I was like, oh, sorry, they don't have the program I want. Oh, you're kidding. And yeah, I mean... Semantics. UT's program was also very, very small. Like Is it was it? super, at least when I was in high school looking at stuff, they're they super selective because I think they only were taking like less than 100 people at, oh, that, really? at that time mm -hmm. in that program. Maybe I'm making that up. I don't know. No, I think but you're right. Um, like. I did get accepted to U of T, whatever it was, physical education. I did end up applying mm. because I thought I should at least show them 
that I tried. <laughs> I did get into that one. I did get into York. I mean, ultimately, I went to Western because that was what I wanted to do. But So you knew you were headed there anyway? Yeah, I knew that. I just had to play the whole game with mom and dad. That's It's really funny. I was in, um, in high school in grade 13 which tells you a little bit about my vintage. Don't worry, all of us all of us did. Oh, we're good. I okay. mean, it was OAC when I was there, but all of us exactly. were still old enough that we had five years. Okay, there we go. <laughs> there we go. So uh, I was in phys ed in my OAC year, and we had to do an assignment uh, which pick a movement, and our teacher had us analyze that movement and break it down into yes. parts. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember that too. OAC yeah. Phys ed, yeah. Yeah, okay, so... I chose a somersault, figured, I don't know what I'm doing. Here's a somersault. Break it into chunks and then explain the parts of the somersault. And my mind was blown. I said, what is this? It's incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I went to my teacher and I said, what is this all about? I really had a great time with this assignment. And he said, it's called biomechanics. And I said, how do I learn more? And he said, you have to go into kinesiology. So go and find a degree in kinesiology. And really, you should go to Waterloo. So that's what I did. Mm. I applied to... We had to apply to a few other schools. So it was U of T and Queens were my other two choices. I didn't know anything about York at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just had to fill in the application. Well, also at that time, York probably had the reputation of, of you being can like use a, a fork, school. you can go to York. Right. Yeah. That was when I was in high school. If <laughs> no. you can use a fork, you can go to York. If you can walk and talk, you can go to Brock. It was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not very nice and to those now universities. Look now look at the schools. Like it's unbelievable what they've done. Brock, I understand, is really great. I was working with them for a time. Really great in coaching and um, excellent with people who want to go into teachers college. So they have a very different focus that mm-hmm. may have changed since I was working with them a while ago. But everyone's really finding their ideal student and looking at what kind of students do we want to create for Mm. the profession. So interesting. Like this is, you know, we always talk about this in business about, you know, having your niche. I never realized like universities also, these big institutions, it makes sense, but I didn't really actually put that together and think about it, that they are also trying to attract a very specific type of student. And actually I know three, at least three teachers that came out of Brock because they had a concurrent education program. Yeah, yeah, they likely still do. So that was something interesting that I learned. I've uh, just finished a term with the University of Waterloo Alumni Council, and I also served a term on their university senate. So a very fascinating journey of learning what goes on behind the scenes at a university. Mm -hmm. So looking at how do we attract students that will help our brand? How do we attract students that will be successful? How do we attract students that will um, be able to build on where they start? And hopefully they can be part of your, your journey into whatever profession you choose and ultimately come back and contribute as an alumni. I feel like this is something that high school guidance counselors should know about. Yeah. I wish when yeah. I was going through that I had a lot more guidance in terms of here's all the opportunities mm-hmm. out there. And it's so, so hard because our parents just simply didn't know, or at least my parents yeah, just oh, exactly. honestly didn't know yeah. what opportunities existed. Mm-hmm. What they knew was you're a good student you're finishing high school, go to university. Like almost like I don't care what you do, just go. And I actually made an appointment with my high school guidance counselor who was actually, um, I want to say like an English teacher or something when I first started and then became a guidance counselor. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what qualified him to be a guidance counselor. Maybe he maybe he was, but I made an appointment with him 
And I said, I just don't know what to do. Like, I was so lost. I was in grade 12. Yes, I still had OAC, but I was like, I just don't even know mm. where to put my focus. I'm making sure to hold on to my math credits because maybe I'll need them. I'm ho- like, I'm holding on to all these things because I honestly don't know what to do. And he was absolutely no help at all. Oh, no. Like, zero help. Oh, no. <laughs> didn't give me any any information. I walked out of there feeling more lost than ever. I just started throwing out degrees at him. I was like, I don't know. What about political science? I do really good in debate. And like, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, can you really see yourself doing that? And I'm like, no, that's why I'm here. Like, help me. <laughs> I need pointer. guidance, <laughs> guidance counselor. <laughs> but you're right. Guidance counselors should be maybe working closer with the universities and trying to have all the information so they can tell their students, you know, this sounds like a better fit for you or, you know, I don't know. Well, yeah. Even taking people through, you know, the opportunities for personality testing and career aptitudes. And mm-hmm. I'm sure those uh, opportunities exist now and may have when we were there, but we weren't aware of them at the time. Weren't aware of them, for sure. Yeah. I even feel like when I started university at Western, and maybe it was just Western, I actually felt when I started in the KIN program that I didn't even understand like the different directions that KIN could take me. I didn't feel that the kinesiology department did a really good job Mm -hmm. at giving us all the info. So I remember being in an athletic therapy or what was it called? It was athletic injuries class Mm -hmm. and I loved it. And I didn't find out until halfway through that you needed to be basically in like the top of the top of the class to be able to take the second part of athletic injuries and I literally missed it by this much and I'm like okay so I guess that's out but it was it I never really understood like how I could get back into that and anyway I just didn't feel they did it really was an option yeah I had no idea I didn't even really know what athletic therapy was at the time like there was just a lot that I didn't understand athletic therapy you were definitely at the wrong school right Right. you'd have to (laughs) do a post-grad at Sheridan or yeah or even at that time there was only a couple places to do it right York was one of them and the York's program was concurrent like you had to be in the kid program to take it at that time separate and at Sheridan was separate and at that time Sheridan it was only two years. Well, I had but. no idea if I wanted to go into athletic therapy until I was sitting in that athletic injuries class and I was fascinated. It Wasn't was the it one class in university I can t- I didn't miss a single day. I yeah. would, like I could be deathly ill and I would make it to that class because I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. And yet I still missed the percentage by that much. <laughs> Western. I partied too much. (laughs) So what made you from a high school student say, like, I want to go do kin? Was it it that biomechanics? It was exactly that assignment. It was that assignment and realizing that you had the ability to analyze movement and change movement as it was actually progressing. So it was an early introduction to movement patterning, corrective exercise, therapeutic exercise, And I had no idea that you could actually train someone to be a better performer. I figured that you were born with a skill, you practiced a lot, and you were able to play great games and maybe have opportunities in the professional world. I had no idea that you could train all those patterns Mm -hmm. in numerous ways with different types of coaches in order to perform better and then have other opportunities. So to me, it was just so much fun to see that kind of influence. Right on. So when you're when you're at Waterloo, are you knowing what you want to do when you finish or are you just kind of... No, not for me. I found that in the five years that I was there, the co-op terms were helpful. So each co-op term, I deliberately chose a very different area to try and experience what was out there as, as an option. 
And so I went through uh, working at a fitness center. I went to uh, an area where I worked with the developmentally delayed population. I worked in corporate wellness, ergonomics, um, health and safety. So I went through very, very different terms and then always migrated back to uh, the clinical aspect and uh, sports medicine. Mm-hmm. And that's where I sat because that was my happy place too. Did you ever consider like a physio or anything after? Yeah, my roommate and I in university went through this discussion over and over again. Chiropractic college, mm. uh, med school, uh, athletic therapy we did know about. Um, so physiotherapy, occupational therapy. So we visited the schools, talked to the students, tried to figure out, do we have something with this kin degree when we finish? Is there a product here that we can market? Yeah. Or do we have to go on from there? And then what would we go on to? Mm-hmm. So extensive research into going to another school. What would that mean? More tuition bills for four, eight, 12 years in some cases, where would that bring us? Right. And would it change our lifestyle? Would it change our ability to earn a living? Would it change the kind of clients that we really wanted to work with? And I thought, you know what, I'll just take a stab at this kin thing for a while. And then if I want to go back to school, I'll think about it right, right, know, right. later on. So when you finished school, what was your first job? What were you doing? I invented my first job. I love nice. that. I love it. Love it. What did I you do? I started my own fitness and rehabilitation center in Bancroft, so halfway between Toronto and Ottawa. Yes, I know Bancroft. Bancroft. <laughs> and so what I did was I was, I was there visiting a friend and decided I'm just going to poke around and see, see what's here. And from doing a number of co-op terms, I thought, well, I'll just take a look at the physiotherapy department at the hospital and any other physio clinics in town. Because it was rare for kinesiologists to have their own bricks and mortar business Mm -hmm. at that point in time. So I went into the local hospital, which was basically a cottage with a basement on the main river, the York River in Bancroft. And went downstairs and right beside the morgue, no joke, was the physiotherapy clinic. And it did have a window, so that that was good. But it was this basement space with the old green tile, and there were six treatment beds, all occupied, and someone trying to adjust a bike seat, put electrical muscle stim around their knee. Mm-hmm. Someone else was getting ready to get help with ultrasound, and one physiotherapist. And I said, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Can I help you? And she said, well, I don't know who you are. Kinesiologist is not a regulated healthcare professional at the time. So you can't work with any of the the clients here. Plus, you're not an employee at the time anyways. But can you help this gentleman with the bike seat? I said, that I've got. I can manage. So she was able to take a minute to talk to me. And I said, "Uh, looks like you need help. You look pretty busy. And she said, we have a three-month waiting list, which is not bad, but a three-month waiting list for one physiotherapist. She was the only one in town. And I said, how can I help? There's obviously an opportunity here. And I Mm -hmm. thought to myself, This would be really interesting to learn from a very established physiotherapist in a small town. This could be a place that I would have a mentor. I would have kind of an incubator of a place where I can learn the skills that I think I would need to survive as a kin. And she said, walk up the hill to the medical building, go and see a gentleman named Dr. Greg Cooper and tell him what you want to do. Tell him that you'd like to establish yourself in Bancroft and see what he says. So it's about 1230. I thought, well, I'll go and get a sandwich and maybe a bottle of juice and go up and 
offer this gentleman lunch because I'm sure if he's a physician in a small town, he's crazy busy. So held up the sandwich and the juice to uh, three receptionists and said, I need to see Dr. Greg Cooper. I was referred by the physiotherapist at the hospital and I brought him lunch. They said, right this way. (laughs) Took me into the back area of the clinic. And there's there's only three physicians in this particular clinic, um, seven physicians in town at the time. So the physicians are bobbing around between treatment rooms. And uh, Greg blows by and he said, I understand you want to see me. I'll just be a minute. And I said, I brought you lunch. And he said, uncap the juice for me. So I hand him the juice. He goes in to see a patient. He comes back out about 10 minutes later. How can I help you? And I said, here's the situation I just saw. I'm thinking it would be really interesting to start a practice here because I could unload a lot of the work from the physio. He said, that would be great. He said, what are you thinking? And I said, well, I'd like to have a a clinical space and I understand the background of how to run a practice. I've been working for a year. What did I know? (laughs) I've been working for a year with different orthopedic physios and sports medicine physicians, athletic therapists, other more established kins. I think I can manage. He said, come with me. So he's eating his sandwich. He's got his bottle of juice. We go downstairs uh, in this two-floor building, and he opens a door to a pitch-black room, flips on the lights. There's no windows. It's behind an elevator shaft. And he said, would this work for you? 400 bucks a month, a dollar a square foot? I said, done. Perfect. Huh? So <laughs> that's what I did. My first treatment table, no joke, was a pile of milk crates, yeah. worth a dairy milk crates, with an exercise mat on top. And then I threw a white sheet over that and brought a couple pillows from home. Mm. And that's what I did. This literally all sounds like a movie to me. Like, I'm, I haven't <laughs> taken my eye. Like, as you're talking, I'm like, this just sounds... Like a movie, like people don't do this at like anymore, at least people don't come out of school and decide, I'm going to make this happen and go and buy lunch for a physician. And hey, do you have a space for me? And then take a job in a, a dungeon. Do you, like <laughs> nobody does this. Do you think the the openness and willingness to even give you time was based on the time frame? Like, you know, what what year we're in when this happens? Or do you think it's more based on location? Like, for example, if you tried that in Toronto right now, it's not going to work. You'd probably get laughed out of the building. The receptionist is going to be like, "Uh, make an appointment. Or no, no, there's there's no time to see you. You know what I mean? That type of thing. I don't, I have no idea. This was 1993. It's not even that long ago. No, it was 1993. So that's when I did this. I did this in a small town. I did this with... um, a group of physicians who really knew each other well. Yeah. Um, so, and they knew that their physiotherapy um, situation was super strange. That's the thing is that it There's was probably, the openness was probably out of need. Like they see this person who's over the top eager to start working oh, yes. yeah. and the physio can't keep up with the demands. Like, okay, let's give her a shot. There's an empty room here, and if you can take some of the caseload, cool. So it was interesting because the physio didn't know what the kin scope of practice was. The kinesiologist who hadn't yet graduated from university didn't know what the kin scope of practice was. I was able to finish my last few courses by correspondence because there was no internet in those days. Yeah. So literally driving back and forth to Waterloo with assignments 
or mailing them hoping they got there on time and saying, well, if I can finish university when I'm up here, I've got this chance. So I don't want to give this chance up. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about what my role in this town would be. So let me take the low hanging fruit of patients, so to speak. Let me take mm-hmm. the people who do need help with exercise. Yeah. Let's take the people who do need help, maybe working on their exercise program that the physiotherapist gave them. Uh, Let's take a look at the people. There was a great massage therapy clinic upstairs in this building. And you know as massage therapists that the exercise that goes with your work is so important to Mm -hmm. how that tissue feels for you the next time you work with someone. So I was able to say, okay, everybody, this is what I'd like to do. This is the kind of patient and client that I think I could do really well with. So interesting. I have a question. I have met I've, I've met multiple people who have studied kinesiology. I've met multiple registered kins, people who went in different directions, you know, as we all have. And people seem to have a really hard time, as you were talking about scope of practice, when they get asked the question, okay, you're a kinesiology, what, a kinesiologist, what do you do? What is your scope of practice? Now that you've been in the industry so long, how do you answer that question? I usually laugh first. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes roll my eyes. And say a kinesiologist can be so many different things. Mm -hmm. We come from a common base. Many of us have a practice in uh, clinical exercise. Mm -hmm. Many of us have a practice in ergonomics, disability management, any one of those areas where you may traditionally see a kinesiologist. But then you have all these people with kinesiology backgrounds that then go another step and go on from there. Mm -hmm. So what I often say is it's a broad scope and that's a wonderful thing. So working in injury prevention, management, rehabilitation is a lovely place to be because we have so many opportunities for very interesting training in an area that we design ourselves. Mm -hmm. I love that kinesiology is regulated now. I know when I came out of university, majority of people who decided, let's try this kin thing for a while, ended up working as physio assistants for minimum wage. That's what was happening when I came out of school. And I just thought, I don't want to be a physio assistant working for minimum wage. And had I known that all I had to do was find a physician and buy him lunch. <laughs> so, you know, it was even worse, too, because they had they had the Ontario Kinesiology Association, right? Were you a member of that? I was uh, a member of the, the board for 10 years, mm-hmm. and I was president when we went through regulation. With the OKA, right? They, it was almost like a stranglehold over the industry where if you weren't certified with them, it was really hard to get a job. Yeah. Because yeah. right? most places were asking for a certified kinesiologist. So mm-hmm. that even ruled out a whole bunch of people that graduated with a kin degree and they're not members of the OKA either because they just didn't bother with it or they didn't meet the requirements for it because they had, you know, academic requirements. Yeah. So you might have your kin degree but not have taken X amount number of biomechanics courses or X amount mm-hmm. of exercise physiology or whatever the case is and then you couldn't be a member. Therefore, you couldn't work. Mm-hmm. And if you could work, then you were definitely the the ultrasound dummy, right? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I totally get it. I totally get it. And so as a a previous board member of the OKA, one of the things that we deliberately did was to define kinesiology. And we said, right? So we said, listen, if kinesiologists are going to make it, 
in this rehabilitation world, in this ergonomics world, in this disability management world, we need a baseline. So the idea would be that in colleges and universities, we would say early, late high school, first year in the program, if you want to practice professionally as a kinesiologist, we're going to tell you now and every single year. Make sure you have this. Make sure you have this. Yes. So this was the idea. And I went to a lot of colleges and universities and spoke as a board member and, and as a president eventually to a lot of students saying, your head is a million different places at this point in time. Let me show you a direction mm-hmm. that you can go in as a member of the Kinesiology Association. And at that time, a certified kinesiologist meant that you had an academic standard. You had to adhere to a disciplinary process. Mm -hmm. There were set policies and procedures for how that was going to be handled. We were a self-regulating profession before we were a regulated profession. So we defined a standard for those healthcare providers. If you didn't meet that standard, you could go back and achieve that standard. Mm -hmm. You could call yourself a personal trainer and be very much equal to that standard without holding that CK designation. Mm -hmm. Or you could say, all right, I'm not a CK, I'm not a kinesiologist uh, with the OKA, I'm going to go on and do something else. Mm -hmm. And and so those were the opportunities. So we we did, yes, put a stake in the ground to say, which is good. We are defining the profession. Exactly. It's what it it's what it needed. It clarifies it to the public. Here's what a kinesiologist knows. Here's what we do. Here's how we work with other healthcare professionals. And the idea being that we wouldn't be the ultrasound jockeys. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because we don't want to be in that position. We don't want to be the assistants to another healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. We're happy to collaborate. We're happy to accept referrals from. Uh, But the idea that we are now a regulated kinesiologist working as a physiotherapy assistant doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. I would like to see physiotherapy assistants educated in colleges in that particular program be physiotherapy assistants. Exactly. They're directly tra- trained to work with physiotherapists, the same as occupational therapy assistants are work- trained to work with OTs. Mm-hmm. But a kinesiologist, I don't believe that's our best role. I don't believe we have the um, ability to sit in that space and be particularly happy in that space because our education is broader. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I well, think then you're being underutilized. I, I agree. Completely yeah. agree. I think our we have expertise in, in such a broad range of areas that when we are able to focus and figure out what our ideal client is and our ideal market is, that's where we're going to excel. I wish that I had had this conversation as a young me. And like as as you're speaking, it's bringing me back to like this anxiety of being in my university lectures and thinking, where do I want to go oh. with this? You know, <laughs> what do I want to do? And like I, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to say anything negative about Western because I love that place, but I don't feel like we did get enough information to know like what we should do and what avenues to take and you know my I'll take responsibility as well I didn't really seek out the help I was just kind of like okay I'm going through it and I'm going to figure out where I want to go and I remember loving uh, my ergonomics class in I want to say it was third year Mm -hmm. and I was so in love with this professor even I was like this is awesome and then so I, I got this idea like I'm going to do something in ergonomics. And then somehow that morphed into, okay, I'm going to do occupational therapy. And then it was, I want to work occupational therapy with children. Like I, 
And yeah, I obviously didn't go down that road at all. <laughs> but I remember finally feeling like, okay, I know what I can do with this kinesiology degree. I spent relief. like the first three years, like this is really interesting, but I don't see what I'm going to do when right. I leave. And it was, it caused me so much anxiety. And I think that's where we're currently losing students at the moment. And I know that's one of the reasons why our professional associations uh, are losing, or let's just say possibly not retaining members. Mm. So there isn't defined career paths for people. And I think that's one of the things that as continuing educators, that would be something that would be a really big favor to a lot of healthcare professionals mm -hmm. to say, here are your options. Let us train you in particular areas where these options all of a sudden become viable pathways to make a very good living and mm -hmm. a very rewarding living. And so that's one of the reasons why I pivoted to say there's so many people in these colleges and universities that I was speaking to who either express frustration or eventually relief that they had a route, they had a path, mm -hmm. and they either didn't know about it in time or luckily got a direction to be able to finish strong or say, okay, now I have a path forward post-college university. Well, like you said, the wonderful thing about kinesiology is the scope is so large. It's there's great. so many opportunities. And I think there's some people that are going to take that and run with it and love, you know, the opportunities to go in all these different directions. And then there's, you know, 20-year-old me who's like, I, there's too many things. I don't know what to exactly. do. <laughs> Everything's bright and shiny and you have no idea what's going to bring you happiness, fulfillment, and, and a way of raising a family. Mm -hmm. So cool. I love Ken. How familiar are you with the licensing exam for the college? Because you got grandfathered in, right? I did get grandfathered in. I wrote for fun one of the, I think the very first test exam Okay. Uh, way back in the day. So this was before regulation when we were lining everything up for regulation. Yeah. <clears throat> and we had to decide what might an exam look like so that we could demonstrate that this would be a process that we went through with a test group. So from what I saw, and I'm not sure that that's particularly changed, I t spoke to some young kinesiologists last week who both expressed, didn't know each other, both expressed the same um, sentiment, was that the first couple of years of a kin degree prepares you well to write that registration exam. Mm -hmm. It's a very uh, technical exam that's focused on exercise physiology, biomechanics, the pure science side of kinesiology, yep. not the application of those skills to right. practice. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's where possibly the kin registration exam differs from the other healthcare professional exams. There may not be the application yeah. or enough application, but I'm not speaking as someone who wrote mm -hmm. uh, the most recent version of the exam. Yeah, it's such a weird go to me because I've, I've, I have I've didn't have to write it either. I got, okay. I got grandfathered in, and that's what I hear as well. But then when you look at the scope of practice outlined by the college and then to see how that matches their licensing exam, I just to me, there's just a, a big disconnect. A disconnect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I understood was it's an interesting place and, and we've seen it uh, working with people in our continuing education companies where what happens is that people are coming to you with raw skills that haven't yet been 
uh, hone to a particular direction. So they're looking for a way of formalizing what they know, reigniting this disconnect that they feel between the theory and what they see in the industry. And there is a bit of anxiety. There is a mm-hmm. bit of panic. There is a bit of this disconnect with, I've got all this information. I've been exposed to so much I think I know what I like, but I need a way of putting it all together and putting it into place. Mm -hmm. So I think the registration exam is an entry to practice exam, which sets a particular standard or bar like we were doing in the past with the OKA. OKA. And now it's up to that kinesiologist to say, okay, I'm now on this particular platform of recognition. And now the public can rest assured that I've achieved a particular standard. Now, where do I go and what do I do? Mm. So then there's all kinds of options. And uh, it's a noisy space. How do we actually say to people, if you're interested in doing this, that, or the other thing, here's the paths to go and get that information. Interesting. It requires people to do a lot of research on their own and a it lot does. of self-awareness, like we were talking about off mic, is figuring out who you are, what kind of practitioner you want to be, what kind of patients you want to see. And that can be really challenging in the beginning. And you may change your mind a few times, which is okay. Right. But you've got to figure that out because you can't just be a general, like I'm a kinesiologist and, you know, try to appeal to everybody. It's like with any profession, you have to have some sort of niche and figure out who you are and what your specialties are going to be. And because the scope is so big, like I said, it caused me massive amounts of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm very happy with the path that I ended up taking. But as I said, as we're talking, it's all just bringing me back to the days of sitting in these lecture halls thinking, what am I going to (laughs) do? I very specifically remember being in a biomechanics class doing uh, gait analysis. Right loved every second of yeah, it. Yeah, isn't it great? And I'm sitting there and I'm watching this person walk, but my I'm actually not paying attention because my brain was going, how do I turn this into a career? Like that was oh, university for wow. me. It was like I'd be in a class, enjoy it, and like, okay, but then what am I going to do? Like it was very, very anxious, so a lot how, of it. how long did it take each of you to figure out your sweet spot? How did you find the place where you were happy? I was, um, I got into kin because in late high school, I got really into fitness. Okay. And so then it just felt right to do a kinesiology program. And so I went to York. And when I was at York, I fell in love with everything that was happening in my first year. And at York at that time, they had different streams. They had a fitness stream, which kind of lines you up to do your personal training certifications. They had a sport therapy stream, which lines you up for athletic therapy. Um, They had a sports administration stream. um, And I can't remember what else they had. They had a coaching stream. And then I dabbled in everything. Which is probably a good thing. Yeah. So I took a whole bunch of coaching coaches Mm -hmm. and and then I got my levels, whatever level in coaching. I was in the fitness stream and then I took a lot of the sport therapy stream courses. So yeah, I just kind of fell in love with with everything fitness related primarily at that time and then clinical kind of rehabilitation stuff. And then as soon as I came out, I went and found a job at a clinic as their kin. But the place that I was at, they were great. I wasn't the 
the hydroculator dude. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't the ultrasound guy. I was the exercise guy. That's great. Right? That so they gave great. me a yeah. lot of free reign with that. Nice. And and then from there, I probably worked there for maybe a year or so because it was a little far from home. And then I said I'm going to uh, do a little bit more fitness. And I started working as a personal trainer. I started writing for a fitness magazine. And then that's when I truly felt entrepreneurial. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start a a personal training company. And so I started Optimal Health Fitness and Lifestyle Consulting. Oh, neat. Yeah. And I did that for about five years. Yeah. And then life just got really strange for me. I spoke about this in one of the previous podcasts. I was engaged. My engagement went to shit. I got got drunk for a long period of time. (laughs) And then I decided I need to go find uh, find a place to meet girls. Okay. And that's where massage therapy. Is. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. But it worked. It, yeah. It, but it, it definitely worked. started with the fitness and the rehab, and I still use all that stuff. Now. Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like I'm still doing it. Like, I mean, I think it's it's only been in the last few years that I think I've actually finally been like, okay, this is this is it. But it was, it was a really bizarre twisting road as well. Like, I got into kin exactly the same as Mark. I became a personal trainer actually in my late teens because I was working out all the time at this gym and I just went to the manager one day and I was like, you guys need a receptionist? Like I thought I literally oh. am here every day. I would leave school and I'd go to this gym. <laughs> How can I avoid paying for membership? Yeah, so I was like, can I work here? Yeah. So I just, I <laughs> walked up to the manager and I said, do you guys need like a reception? And she said, we need floor coaches. And I'm like, I don't know what any of those words mean. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? And she said, don't worry, we'll train you. But basically your job would be to walk around the gym floor and help people in using the equipment. And I was like, are you nuts? I'm 17. Like, I work out for fun. Like, what do you mean? No, I can't do that. And she said, we will train you. You can do that. And I was like, okay, I guess it's worth a shot. Like, I really do love working out, but I am very much a perfectionist. And I don't like to ever come across as, this was my own insecurity. I don't like to come across as not knowing what I'm talking about. So I took this opportunity to literally start reading and researching and learning about fitness and exercise and everything by myself at 17. And so I got this job and within probably a couple of months, she said she wanted me to start training. And then I was like, more anxiety. So I was like, okay. So again, I I was sort of self-taught and back that, well, even now, I mean, there's not really a gold standard for personal trainers in Canada, unfortunately. So really you can take any kind of weekend certification and slap on the title and go work. So they had their own training program for their trainers. So I did it and I was still doing my own learning. So I became a personal trainer at a fitness club. Yeah, I was probably 17, 18. And I was so in love with, I literally was at this gym all the time. Either I was working or I was working out. I loved it. And that's how I decided to do kin because it was the only thing that made sense. I really enjoyed working out and this makes sense. And I remember going to kinesiology orientation at Western and them asking everybody, you know, what sports do you play? Because that's, you know, usually the type of person that goes into kin, they come to me and I'm like, sports. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't, I don't play sports anymore. Like I haven't, since I was in elementary school, I'm like, I just really like working out. Like that was it. So, and then, like I said, through university, I all different directions were coming into my mind. I didn't know what I wanted to do. When I graduated, I thought, okay, I just need to start working. So I just went back to my previous company. They brought me back on as a trainer. I did that for six months and then realized I'm so bored and then got promoted to general manager of the fitness club. Wow. As like a 23-year-old, I thought, this is wow. awesome, right? Like I thought, this is great. Yeah. I couldn't have been more unhappy. 
because okay. I was no longer I was, I was no longer working. Yeah, I was not on the floor. I was the numbers person. I was the one yelling at the trainers to sell more training. I was yes. the one yelling at the salespeople to sell more memberships. You read the article she posted this morning. Yes. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. But that was like I just I was exactly. so unhappy. I'm like I'm no longer helping people. I'm helping this corporation get more money. And it was finally, and I think I've told the story on the podcast before when I sold like a 300 and something dollar package to an elderly woman with fibromyalgia in my mind, knowing you're never going to use this. Oh, wow. You're never going to come. Like, this is not the environment for you. You do need exercise and you do need someone helping you, but this is not it. And I literally felt so slimy. Like I just sold you this because I can and because it's making me money, but but I don't feel good about it. No, it really felt horrible. So I ended up quitting. And of course, my parents were so upset. Like, you know, you went to school for this, you you got into the area that you thought you were, and now you're quitting. And I'm like, yeah, I hate it. So I needed a job quick. I applied for a bunch of jobs, ended up taking an office job with the intent to save money and go to U of T for occupational therapy. Oh, okay. Fast forward, I met Mark. We talked about massage. I'm like, this is cool. And I took massage therapy. That's amazing. That's great. Well, it's an it's a really interesting application of the background that you already had. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it was a two-year It was two years, program. yeah, that now I did. it's a three-year program, I believe, from, from most massage school? It, no, it depends on the school. Because... Oh, it depends on the school. And your advanced standing, if you have a background. Yeah. I actually right. didn't take advanced standing because I had been, I had only been out of school for a year, but I wanted to redo anatomy and physiology okay. because again, like, I'm a perfectionist. A I didn't, I didn't want to feel like I'm missing things. Right. So, and I'm happy I did it that way, but I purposely didn't want to do advanced standing. I wanted to actually take the course in full and learn everything from the beginning. Right. There were definitely classes I was bored out of my mind in, but it was a good refresher. Right. And actually one thing I, I missed when I said now is finally the place, what I loved about personal training was teaching people. Yeah. That was like the thing. I loved being able just to empower people to do this on your own. And I love teaching. And I, I would always say like, I need to do something where I'm speaking and I'm teaching and I'm educating people, but I don't want to be a teacher. Right. So it was once Mark had this crazy idea to start a continuing (laughs) education company, I was like, yes. It's it's so much fun because then you can speak about your own experience and hopefully help people avoid some of the landmines that we stepped right into unknowingly, Mm -hmm. right? To say, if we can give you some direction, if we can give you a leg up, if we can say, let us help you navigate this in terms of conversations you should be having with clients or with coworkers, um, if we can help you navigate navigate the referral process, mm-hmm. trying to define who that niche is that you really want to work with. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that we had to learn on our own. Yep. And if we can save you time and money by sharing our expertise with you, that's what it's all about. We all want to get ahead no matter what our healthcare backgrounds are. And there's ways of doing that. And one of the biggest ways is learning from mentors who've For done sure. it before and who have said, let us make it so much easier for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to ask you about your continued education company. But before that, Bancroft. Yes. Is it still there? It is still there. I have your visited it many times since. square foot place is still there? Uh, no. What happened with my 400 square foot place was it became very crowded very quickly. Yeah. I found all the kinesiologists I could find in the town. So the fun part was... My staff was an OPP officer who had a kin degree. Um, my staff was a high school teacher who had a kin background. 
Um, and then there was also a community coach who had a kin background. And then I had gym members. Uh, we had a, a gym membership. I think it was $55 a month is where we started. And it went to $75 a month, which was big change back then. Mm-hmm. And I had members coming to me saying, you have fitness classes. I would really like to learn how to teach those classes. You have a full personal training schedule. My friends couldn't train with you. How do I become a personal trainer? So it was a way of working with people in the community and directing them to fitness instructor programs Mm -hmm. and personal training programs. And then saying to my kinesiologist friends, in your off hours, when you're finished your shift as a cop, would you like some extra hours working as a trainer and teaching fitness classes? So it was this interesting hybrid of people that that I pulled together. And uh, we blew out the space twice. So... I started learning about the motor vehicle accident industry and I started learning about the disability management industry and all of a sudden I got really busy. So I hired a physiotherapist to work with me and I also hired a a nurse who had a part-time job but wanted to work in our center. So she worked part-time with a physician and then the other part of her time she worked with us. So we had this really interesting hybrid of people And I was able to work with coaches and other fitness instructors and physios and nurses. And it just became this multidisciplinary environment that I love. And that's how we all were able to learn from each other. So, um, no, it's not still there. It, it, uh, I sold the, the business. It moved to a community center mm-hmm. because it was too big for the medical building. And, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's still going in a new, a new iteration. Wow. Tell us about the continuing education company you have. So that started out uh, in 2007. When I moved to Toronto in 2000, I had to figure out what was next and soon got quite busy with personal training clients and realized I needed help. And I thought, well, I can bring other kinesiologists on and they can help me with the client load and and the referrals that were happening. And what I was realizing is I was having to train each person as they came on board. And I Mm -hmm. thought, wait a second, if I can formalize this training process, then that would make it easier. My first thought was just to onboard other kinesiologists Mm -hmm. And then I had other people approaching me as I got more involved with the Kinesiology Association. And they said, well, we like your team. Can we join it? Or is there a way of learning what they know? Because we were doing different presentations for for different groups in courses and conferences. And so I thought, okay, wait a minute. If there's people interested in paying for a formalized program, let's just see how it goes. So Mm -hmm. that's how it started. And so we have courses that range similar to yours with assessment and therapeutic mm-hmm. exercise. And um, we've now have a very different team than, than when we had our company running before. It was running from 2007 to 2013. And then we took a break for a number of years. We went back to school and had families and, and went off and explored other disciplines. And then a number of us said, what if we brought this back five years later? Mm-hmm. What would it look like? Is there still a market for continuing education courses? And in the meantime, we'd had people say, where have you gone? We haven't seen you. (laughs) We wanted to take that course. And so we thought, okay, we're going to take our time. We're going to bring it back. And all of a sudden, this world in the last few years is very different from the world we left. And so navigating that has been a lot of fun. But the premise has been the same. When you are going through college and university, when you are a new grad, Our target market is that first 
three to five years. So Mm -hmm. students in that first three to five years of practice, so that, let's say, you know, nine, ten years of going through uh, a healthcare education, those are the people I think that our courses would appeal to. Mm -hmm. And this is what we would be looking at is let us help you point you in a direction and you can take things a la carte. You can follow pre-established series that we've put together to say, if you're a beginner, if you're a new professional, if you want to specialize, let us give you some direction and um, learn from the people who've, who've done it before. And uh, let's cut some time out for you. I love that. And like you said, it's, getting the people who have all of the theoretical knowledge and now the Absolutely. practical application. That's and again, I don't know what the university programs are like now, and I, I didn't feel there was enough practical application in school. So continuing education is just necessary when you work in healthcare. It's necessary. And I know a lot of professors in the colleges and the universities um, in Canada and, and actually outside of Canada as well. And they have a mandate for research and in addition to their their teaching. Mm-hmm. And many of the colleges don't yet have or may not have robust research programs up and running yet. The college and the university professors may have a lot of practical knowledge or they may have very little practical knowledge. So they're coming in as teachers with varied backgrounds and the students may or may not have guidance from someone who's worked in healthcare feel in the healthcare Mm -hmm. field before. So this is a way of saying, okay, we're going to kind of up level everybody to say, no matter what your skills are coming out of a formal education program, these are programs that will ready you to practice. Mm -hmm. So that's the same as, as your company doing the same thing, looking to up level the skills of healthcare professionals Mm -hmm. and making sure they're successful because when they're successful, their clients are successful. And then people start looking for massage therapists and kinesiologists who are very, very comfortable with what they do and they're comfortable, therefore they're confident and the client outcomes are that much better. Yeah. It's it's good for the profession. It It makes, it makes, it legitimizes things a little bit more is having the practical knowledge and understanding what it's like to be that frontline worker. It's awesome, you know, to go to university and get all the theoretical knowledge from somebody who does research. And, you know, you get, like you said, people from varying backgrounds, but then to be able to piece it all together, I think that was the piece I was missing. I love it. I love it. (laughs) When did you stop with your involvement with the OKA? My final year as president, we became regulated. And I thought, okay. It's time for me to step away. When was that regulation? So that was 2007. Seven. Okay, yeah, yeah. What do you think of what they do now, just out of curiosity? It's it's tough. And, and this was an argument I had as a board member. It's very hard to run um, a professional association largely run by volunteers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have a fantastic executive director and then an unpaid board of directors. And that's very challenging because unless you have the ability to focus and to find that one thing that drives that association forward as a business, Mm -hmm. as a business that promotes a profession to other healthcare professionals, to the public, that identifies the quality of continuing education that kinesiologists should be pursuing, that's very, very challenging. So my dream when I was involved with the OKA was to have a paid executive And so you're empowering a group of three or four people like the other 
uh, larger healthcare professions to drive a mandate of that profession. And that's a, that's a challenge. So that's a conscious decision that would have to be made by the association yeah. in order to, to fund it and, and do that. That's something I think needs to be done. I think that I feel like that association needs a little bit more direction. That way we can have like, you know, at least tackle more things like insurance providers, mm-hmm. you know, covering kinesiology and things like that. Do we know, are there, there are insurance providers that are getting on board with kinesiologists. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think it's a lot, but there are some I think that are now covering. There are some and and what people forget is that as a kinesiologist it's very difficult to go to an insurance company and ask to be included on that extended healthcare benefits plan. Exactly. Right? In, in that list of that pick list of providers included in, in that spending plan. So the drive has to come actually from the employees of the company. So mm-hmm. the employees have to ask their employer to negotiate an insurance package that includes a kinesiologist. So a professional association can only do so much a kinesiologist can only do so much. But the message we give to our patients and clients is take your receipts go to your employer and ask that the next time they renegotiate their benefits package, that mm-hmm. kinesiology mm-hmm. is included in that package. It's That's a it's it a works. it's a hard battle because I know that uh, medical doctors tend to always refer to physio. Majority of people still look at their their GP as the gold standard of healthcare, and you right. know I'm going to listen to what my doctor says. Sure. And as I said, I still find that the general public isn't quite knowledgeable enough about what a kinesiologist is. I find I'm constantly explaining to people when they see, you know, my background is in kin and I'm constantly explaining what kinesiology is. And it's not even the general public. It's other healthcare professionals as well. That's true. Even, yeah, other healthcare professionals don't know what a kin does. I've had, like I said, I've had people even say who are in the medical community, so like a physio, like they don't really quite understand. Right. And I find it interesting that in insurance companies aren't all over this, considering insurance companies employ kinesiologists yes, they do. to do assessments <laughs> and to to head their um, I don't disability know what the, yeah the disability management and the clinic outreach programs and stuff. Kins are all up in those companies, so I feel like kinesiology should be a service that's covered. But as you said, it needs to come from the patients mm. who are saying we want this service. That's right. That's right. And yeah. if they can't define who we are and what we do, that becomes more and more difficult. In my area, it's very easy because I just explain I'm a specialist in exercise therapy. The niche that I work with is older adults with multiple chronic autoimmune conditions. So when I was working exclusively with clients, it was very easy to tell people, this is what I do Mm -hmm. because I, I just had this message about my niche. I didn't concern them with defining kinesiology. I just said, here's what I do. Mm -hmm. And that way people can place you. So there was no need to compare me to a physiotherapist because they understood that this was my path. And I found that made things a little bit easier for them to understand. And if they asked about physiotherapy and kinesiology, I was able to say, well, physiotherapists in this area that I work in, generally work with people who have acute injuries or they're immediately post-rehabilitation, and they would refer their patients and clients to me to do the follow-up exercise therapy. And they said, okay, now we understand. But that's how I worked with my physiotherapy colleagues, too. Mm -hmm. So we had an understanding of how 
a patient or a client would flow through working with us. And that just made it very easy to define. Yeah. And it is difficult to define with all of these different professions because we all have very overlapping scopes of practice. As we should, I think. As we should. Exactly. If you have a client coming to you, you should be able to understand completely the symptom picture and the pathology and then be able to understand a treatment plan, even if that means bringing in other colleagues and other professionals, but you have to understand first what's happening. So yeah, our our scope of practice overlaps a lot. The number of clients I've had say to me, you're doing what my physio does. I'm like, well, that's good. Good. I'm glad to know. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's, It's really important. And I think that's a very good point that that overlap has to happen. It should happen. Our scopes of practice should be broad enough that they do overlap. Mm -hmm. And it's our expertise and that ideal client niche that allows us to specialize within that scope of practice. And define who you are within this giant umbrella of rehabilitation, disability management, whatever it is, health, wellness, healthcare. We're so many things. (laughs) (laughs) To so many people. I dig it. I dig it. This is a really, really interesting episode, if I do say so myself. (laughs) Um, I like that we have somebody in here. We we typically, I mean, we have different people, but we have a lot of RMTs. And it's really nice to have a kinesiologist here because, again, I think you're really clarifying what kinesiology is or what it can be, what different roles kins could have. Because, as I said, I feel like this is a big question mark for a lot of people. Um, Manual osteopathic practitioners. We've had a couple of them on. Mm -hmm. I once met one who was just fresh out of school. He also had a degree in kinesiology. And I said, educate me. You know, I want to be able to refer patients to you. Tell me what is an osteopath? What do you do? Like explain. He looked at me like a deer in the headlights. Oh, wow. It was, he had no idea what to say. And I was like, this is such a huge problem in our industry. If we can't define our own roles and we can't explain to patients and to other healthcare providers who we are and what we do and what solutions we have for the patients, we're screwed. Like he just, he had nothing to say to me. He was like, uh, well, I work on like... Like, uh, that was actually the conversation. Like, oh, dear God. Ouch. So interestingly, uh, one of the people that I've worked with for many, many years, first she was a consultant um, in my kinesiology business working with clients, and now she's an instructor with me in the education company. She went to school right after her kin degree. Very soon after her kin degree, she went to osteopathic college because she wasn't sure what a kin did. Mm. So she said, I don't know how to practice here. I'm going to go, maybe someone else can define it for me. And then as we developed our education company, she said, this is what I was looking for. This is what I needed Mm -hmm. to figure this out. But then what I learned from watching her go through school is about the soft tissue skills that an osteopathic manual practitioner has that a kin does not have unless they've done advanced training. But I understood now Now she can refer to me because she does the hands-on manual mobilization and manipulation of soft tissue Mm -hmm. and bone, and she doesn't do the education. Sorry, she doesn't do the exercise side. Mm -hmm. So this is how we fit together with osteos, and it it works out super well. Beautiful. Right on. 
This was good. It's good morning. Yeah. <laughs> we don't normally record in the morning. I'll be honest with you. Uh, we like to come in and do some stuff and whatever and like gear up. And it was like, okay, we're doing a first thing in the morning podcast. This is new. But I really enjoyed this. Oh, good. I did too. This is a great conversation. And it was really nice to get to know the two of you better as well. Yes, definitely. I want to sort of give some information about yeah. your education company because we do have kids who listen to the program. We have right. kids who take our courses, but I'm sure some of them listening now are getting really excited about your <laughs> courses. So can you let people know how to find you and your company and any information that they might want? Sure, absolutely. So again, our company is called First Line Education. We have courses live in Toronto and also online. And you can find us at www.firstlineeducation.com. We have roughly about 30 courses taught by uh, kinesiologists, osteopathic manual practitioners, uh, massage therapists, physiotherapists, uh, yoga teacher. So we have a broad range of instructors. We all know each other very well. And you'll find courses in business, in assessment, in exercise prescription, in manual therapy. So we're, we're all over the map. And nice. we've been able to put it together in a system because that's what people were asking for. How do we start? How do we progress? How do we specialize? So you'll see some options there for memberships for courses and also for taking a number of courses at once. There's some series there that you can enroll in to keep it simple. Right on. This was great. Thank you. It was an amazing conversation. We covered yeah. a lot of ground. And I think a lot of ground that people always have questions about. Right on. Well, thanks for coming in. Thanks Thank for you. hanging out on our couch. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.